I'm Kamaya Truett-Martin, and this is the WUNC Youth Podcast. I'm here today with one of WUNC's youth reporters, Skylar Fisher. How are you feeling today, Skylar? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Skylar is an incoming freshman at UNC Chapel Hill and just graduated from Broughton High School in Raleigh. She joined WUNC staff this summer as a part of the 2017 Youth Reporting Institute. She wanted to cover the impact of harm reduction in her community. Tell us a little bit about your story. For the past two years, I've been volunteering with the North Carolina Harm Reduction Coalition, and what they do is they provide alternative routes for um, drug users and their family members for treatment options. And so instead of just abstinence only, they'll offer stuff that, you know, some of the drug users still use. Cool, cool, cool. Well, let's hear the story. I just graduated from Broughton High School in Raleigh, and all things considered, I had a pretty normal experience. I played a nun in The Sound of Music, I was the president of the National Honor Society, and... Oh yeah, one Thursday a month, I packaged overdose kits for opiate users. I started volunteering for the North Carolina Harm Reduction Coalition my sophomore year, but opiates weren't new to me. Pills were always easy to come by at school if you looked for them, and some of my friends used. My volunteer work has shown me that addiction to opiates is complicated and hits families hard. Louise Vincent lost her daughter to a drug overdose. Now, she heads the Urban Survivors Union in Greensboro. I can't figure one other reason why I would be sitting upright right now, like not, you know, just completely a mess, chaotically using, other than being involved with this has given me something that keeps me so busy. <laughs> I don't know where I, when I'd have time to do that. <laughs> she herself has been an on-again, off-again user since she was 13. Louise helps people survive their addictions. Advocates call it harm reduction. Her staff and volunteers run a syringe exchange program to minimize the spread of hepatitis and HIV. They also give out naloxone, a drug that reverses opiate overdoses. Some police and most EMTs have naloxone on hand, but Louise's group gives it out directly to users. The group even encourages people to smoke their drugs instead of injecting them. So this is a meth pipe, so and it's just a glass pipe. Louise is unpacking a meth kit. The clean pipe helps users smoke more safely. Like, like so, and people use like uh, light bulbs and all sorts of stuff that's really dangerous. You know, just just to have a nice glass pipe that you're not going to cut or burn yourself. You're not going to like all of that stuff. Those are all put you at risk for for disease. Because when you're talking about high risk people, that I mean, when you're talking about groups of people where almost everybody has hepatitis C, then it doesn't take much to transmit it. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I know what this sounds like. Giving out meth pipes, needles, and naloxone isn't everyone's idea of community service. Syringe exchange was just legalized last summer in North Carolina. Before that, advocates were thrown in jail for running underground exchanges. We've had for a long time as sort of the mainstream approach to drug education for young people. We've had sort of these scare tactics um, like D.A.R.E. and other programs like that um, that are sort of, they're sort of the equivalent of like absence-based sex education um, for drug use. Lofton Wilson from the North Carolina Harm Reduction Coalition explains that a key part of their strategy is building relationships with drug users to educate them about their options. But if we put it all into the same kind of bucket of, you know, devil business, then, you know, we lose out on the ability to have actual conversations with people who are making actual choices. I've met a lot of drug users who struggle with their problems alone because they can't quit. I've seen that harm reduction meets people where they are, regardless of life choices. This strategy has helped many, including Louise Vincent. Really, when I started this, it was more about me, and I wanted 
somewhere to go where I could get some support to help myself. I know that it changed my life, feeling like the one thing that was to my detriment, which was my addiction, you know, now it's something that I'm an expert at and I can share and help people. In North Carolina, more than 1,100 people died in 2015 from opioid-related deaths. In February, the North Carolina Harm Reduction Coalition released another number, 6,000. That's the number of naloxone kits in the hands of users or their loved ones used to reverse an overdose since 2013. That's 6,000 times someone was brought back from the brink of death and given the opportunity to make a different choice. For WUNC's Youth Reporting Institute, I'm Skylar Fisher. All right, so that story was intense, and I know it took a lot, a lot of hard work, but before you go into the process, just tell us a little bit about harm reduction again. So harm reduction itself can come off as kind of a controversial issue, but it's actually been gaining a lot of support, especially in the South, because um, opioid use is such a problem in the South, um, and the entire United States with the opioid crisis. But um, actually, when I'm talking about syringe exchange, you have to keep in mind that it was passed in a particularly conservative legislature. So Pat McCrory actually signed it into law, uh, which is really crazy when you think about it. Um, There's still a lot of work to do in North Carolina. Uh, The coalition itself does a lot of work with not just drug use, but they all do um, stuff with uh, like sex workers' rights and um, the rights of people who have been charged with felonies, making sure that they can get hired, like fair chance hiring. Um, A lot of work that they do is really um, intersectional. So it's a really cool organization to work for. Okay, cool, cool. So it's really intense working with something that's, like, been so controversial. And in your story, you talk about meth pipes. And recently, um, just today, something went down with mentioning meth pipes in your story. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. So I had the amazing opportunity to be uh, featured on The State of Things with a couple of other, other um, youth reporters here. And um, the day after the interview aired... Um, some people in Wilmington had some trouble with the police uh, due to, like, the meth pipe tape that I had. And the meth pipe tape did not come from Wilmington. So it was a very, like, scary moment, and I thought there was a chance that my story was going to be killed, and I was really nervous and just, like, finding different tape, and I was really scared because I'm really actually very proud of the piece that I came up with. And it was a really big collaboration with a lot of different people here at WUNC, and I, it was really breaking my heart to think about it being changed so much. But um, it ended up being fine. The woman who I interviewed, Louise Vincent, is just, like, the baddest person in the entire world. She's so cool. And, like, talking to her, I asked her if, we asked if she was nervous. And she was like, no, no way, no way. This is an important topic. Like, I'm happy you're doing this. And was just really happy to have, like, a collaboration between a news outlet and this group of people who is sometimes uh, pretty marginalized. I mean, not a lot of super positive coverage about drug users themselves you know that's what I think is so important about this organization is it actually formed out of uh, Louise specifically works for a drug users union and so that's just a group of drug users who came together and are trying to protect their own community and like you know an environment that is generally pretty hostile to people who are still using drugs. So you know a lot about harm reduction is there anything surprising that you learned through doing this story? Well, actually, um, the meth pipe tape that ended up being the most controversial part of my story and the most difficult to deal with um, the legal aspects of, it was really surprising to me also. I mean, playing it on air, it sounds pretty shocking, but when Louise pulled out a meth kit, I had never heard of that strategy for harm reduction. So I actually learned a lot about the ways that people go about it. And what helped is that actually when I was volunteering for the organization, I was a minor. So now that I'm older and I can actually do a little bit more, you, you know, and there's a lot of ways people can get involved. That's another thing that I learned is that 
you can volunteer at a syringe exchange program. You can go to like a naloxone kit packing party. You know, I can't tell you how many people I've dragged to those kinds of things, you know, not knowing that they really can make an impact in their community in this really specific way. Mm-hmm. So. so speaking of naloxone kit packing parties, um, I know that at the beginning we thought that that was going to be the center of your story, mm-hmm. but it changed a little bit. How do you how did you deal with those changes and how did you find a new focus? Um, well, part of it was finding good, um, compelling sound was one of my things that I was struggling with. So the kit packing party seemed like an obvious place to go. But um, and, and explain what that is a little oh, bit yes. for our listeners. So a kit packing party, uh, they are hosted by the North Carolina Harm Reduction Coalition all over the state. If you go to their website, you can definitely find some to volunteer at. Um, but what they do is they basically get some pizza and get like an assembly line going of naloxone, which is just two little vials. Um, and then two hypodermic syringes and some instructions and a number to call if you use the kit. So you put those together, you put together, you know, hundreds. I put together hundreds, personally. Um, and you send them off in a box and then the coalition distributes them across the state. Cool, cool, cool. So you had a lot of tape, you had a lot of interviews. Is there anything that was left out that you wish could have made the cut? So one of the tapes that I had was actually of a girl from Wake County who had experience with opiate use and a lot of my story was going to focus on the teenage aspect of this as from the youth reporting institute but part of that didn't make it into the story all right well let's go ahead and hear that little clip yeah like how could i have been that ignorant to just see people injecting and being like oh my god they're gone like they're so far gone they they need help but then thinking like you know now i think about it I'm like they're, we're not that different one of them just has one of them one of us can just stomach it better. So what new have you learned about news from being a part of this program? Part of what I learned about news is that it's so hard for me to remain unbiased that I really um, am taking a much more, um, I'm taking a fine-tooth comb to my sources because for me, I went through four editors and they were all amazing and really helped me out and it just made me think about where I get my, you know, the most truthful form of media that I get from it. I listen to, you know, NPR and I read The Skim and I love it so much, but, you know, I'm starting to realize I really do need to take um, take more responsibility in my sources. Cool, cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show today and talking about your story and your experience. It was all really great and it was wonderful working with you this summer. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We're going to round out this episode with a piece from the summer of 2015. WUNC youth reporter Soraya Asfari produced this piece about Muslim Americans and their decision to wear the hijab. The main questions I get asked is if I shower with it on. Can you wear it in front of your family and can you take it off in front of girls? Do you sleep with that? How come you don't wear it? Most people think I'm bald. Does it get hot in that? Some of them are just really common sense questions that people don't seem to think are common sense. So here's the deal. Yeah, it can get hot wearing the hijab. No, I don't wear it in the shower or to bed. Yes, I can take it off at home. No, I'm not bald. And it's just not that weird. Of the approximately 1 million Muslim women living in the U.S., a little over half of them wear the hijab or the Muslim headscarf. That's according to the Pew Research Center. Rafia Sheikh is a normal teenager who enjoys spending time with friends and family, hates school, and adores her cat. She's wearing a hijab that she picked out at the mall. Wearing the hijab is a symbolic step which Muslim girls choose to take on their own. 
When Rafia put on the hijab, she knew that her online persona had to change as well. I deleted all my pictures on social media showing my hair, so no one, hopefully no one, saved any of those, so. Rafia decided to wear the hijab soon after the Chapel Hill shootings. That's when three young Muslims were shot dead in their home last February. After the tragedy, Rafia knew she couldn't put it off any longer. Your life, it can be gone in a second. You never know when it's going to be. You never know why. You can never really prepare for that moment, but when you when that moment comes, you're going to want to be prepared. So just putting my hijab on, really, I feel it helped me. It's a big decision and a serious one. But don't forget, we're teenagers too. We care about our image and what people think, and we get insecure sometimes, just like everyone else. My friend Kauter Asad gets upset when people make assumptions about her based on her decision to wear the hijab. Uh, well, they should see how the true Muslim women are, that there's so many Muslim women that are doing great things, and it's just a cloth on our head that doesn't stop us from doing, from going to school and getting our education, like um, Yusur, how she was um, in dental school, and that just shows how much we can do and how much we can go and help with the charity and help with the kids and everything, and this cloth on our head doesn't stop us. Gauther's talking about Yusar Abu Salha. She and her little sister Azan were victims of the Chapel Hill shootings. They are heroes to me and many other young Muslim women because of the way that they embrace their hijab and their faith. Rafia likes to quote a tweet Yusar sent out to explain her feelings about wearing the hijab. Hijab is my constant reminder that we aren't living for this world. And then she went on. But that one part really stuck to me that it's just a big reminder that we aren't living for this world and we shouldn't focus so much on the goods in this life that we should really just live for God and do our best to try to get paradise in the hereafter. It's meaningful to Rafia, but wearing the hijab is also kind of fun. Headscarves come in all sorts of colors, patterns, and sizes. We look at them all the time at the mall. Right now, Rafia and I are at Belk in the scarf section. Are they on sale? These are 25 to 50% off. I love I these like scarves. this one. Look at this pattern. It's like in your face, kind of. I, don't I know. like it. I don't know. If it was something solid. Me, I do like the solid colored hijabs. Black, purple, brown, pink. Rafia, she likes the bright, bold patterns. I asked her how wearing the hijab makes her feel. S-E-X-Y. It's a very sexy thing because the... Because only when you get married, only your husband can really see you. He can only see your hair. He can only really see who you are. So I feel like that's very like mysterious about you. Rafi and I are both students at Wakerly College. It's a very diverse place. When Rafi and I walk into the cafeteria for lunch wearing our hijabs, no one asks questions or thinks anything of it. We're all mixed up with everyone else, and that's just the way we like it. Shout out to Emmanuel Tobe on the soundboard, Catherine Gann and Anthony Howard, Allison Swain, Kimani Hall as our producers, and David Brower as the program director. We couldn't do this without you. I'm Kamaya Truett-Martin, and this is the WUNC Youth Podcast. Thank y'all for listening.